Turn, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. We're continuing to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. Two weeks ago, we started the Lord's Prayer. Uh, remember, chapter 6 is discussing doing acts of righteousness, but doing them not as a hypocrite for the glory that you receive from other people, but rather doing them in secret so that you receive your reward from God because God sees what you do in secret. So we started two weeks ago, I guess, with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about forgiveness. The fact that we like the idea of forgiveness, we just don't like forgiving people. We like to uh, kind of rub it in. But we skipped ahead to verse 14 and 15 where Jesus basically says, Oh, if you're not willing to forgive others, you won't be forgiven either. And we discussed the fact that this seems to imply that us receiving forgiveness from God is contingent on us doing some work, namely forgiving other people. But what we saw was the fact that God has forgiven us and we are to demonstrate that we know that, that we acknowledge that by sharing that forgiveness with other people. The reality is God has forgiven us more than we could ever repay. And when someone offends us, we need to be willing to forgive them also. It's hard. Had lots of people with very hard situations. This person did something horrible and wretched. What about? It's hard. But we have to remember what God has forgiven us. What we did as our acts of rebellion toward God. And God has forgiven us. So that brings us to the last verse of the Sermon on the Mount. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you look over in the book of James, chapter 1, he says, When you have been tempted, don't ever say, God did it. Because God does not tempt anyone. That's what James says. So if James says that God doesn't tempt us, why would we pray to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? This is fascinating to me because the reality is I'm walking through life. I'm walking through life, doing whatever it is I do, and up there is some temptation. What is a temptation? A temptation is something that leads you off the path. It is something that comes to you and soon, did God really say, don't eat of that fruit? Well, I don't know. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. So I'm walking through this path of life and up ahead is this temptation, but I don't see it. I don't know it's going to be there. It could be this afternoon. It could be next week. It could be next year. But it's up there. 
What I'm praying to God to do is direct my path to avoid that temptation. That's what I'm saying. Lead us not into temptation. He is not the creator of the temptation. But what we need is his help to avoid the temptation. Now, we are told in the scripture that Satan himself is a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. What are we told to do when we meet Satan? Maybe. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's interesting. Satan himself, we're told to resist him. How do we resist him? The same way that Jesus resisted him. We quote scripture to him. Now, I heard a sermon this week. I've got to tell you this. This is big church service. And in the middle of the church service, Satan appears. Satan himself appears. And everybody's running to the door. They're trying to get out. They're climbing over the pews. They're escaping except one guy. He's just sitting in the middle, minding his own business. And Satan comes up to him and says, Do you know who I am? And he says, Yeah. Then why aren't you terrified? Why should I be? I've been married to your sister for 40 years. (laughs) It's an old... It was actually a sermon about marriage. (laughs) Take it for what you will. We are actually told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Huh. What are we told about temptation? Resist temptation? No. What are we told to do? Now it's your turn. Flee. Run away is what we're supposed to do when we come up against temptation. What do we do when we come up against temptation? There's the temptation right there. Hmm. I wonder what it's like. I think I'll think about it for a while. Hmm. And we kind of observe it. Think about it. Contemplate what it would mean. or what. Well, we shouldn't do it, but... We want to toy with it as if it's a kitty cat and not a lion. We are told to resist. Go ahead. Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife is a perfect example. Just get out of Dodge. Just run away. But you know, we like to see how close we can get to it. We want to dabble in it. We want to stick our toe into the swimming pool and just see how it feels. You ready for this? You're not that strong. You aren't. You're not that strong. I'm not that strong. What does Jesus say? when he is praying in the garden for the people. You know, he's praying and they're falling asleep. And he goes over and he chastises them. Couldn't you stay awake? And the the spirit is willing, but the 
flesh is weak. We think we can resist the temptation, and we can't. So what we need to do is to run away from it. And what we pray to God is to guide, to direct our path such that the temptations are someplace else. Now, question, are we going to be tempted? Yes, we're going to be tempted. If you're not being tempted, you're either blind or you've given up. You've given in so often that you don't even know there's a temptation. I mean, we could have an interesting discussion about what are the types of temptation that you and I face on a daily basis, an hourly basis. The temptation to do things our own way. The temptation for pleasures that we shouldn't participate in. Temptation to exert power over those that are weaker than we are. The temptation, just keep filling in the blank. And we need the help of God to say, that is something you should avoid. That is leading you into sin. That is causing you to fall off the path of sanctification. Now, we are tempted. But we are told that God will provide us enough power, the Holy Spirit. He will give us what we need to resist the temptation. Yes, go ahead. Go and sin no more is what he tells the woman caught in the act of adultery. We're not supposed to be giving in to the temptation. Why do we pray this if I know there's going to be temptation? Because we pray it because we know there's temptations that we're too weak to handle. And we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from evil. We live in a world full of temptations. It is a minefield, literally. I don't know if you've ever seen a minefield before. You're driving around Israel, and over there there's this sign that says, Don't go here. Why? It's a minefield. Now, if you put the mines there, you might have a map of where they are. But if you didn't put them there, you don't know where they are. That's why it's called a minefield. Life is full of temptations and we need the help of God to resist them. No, to flee from them, to not give into the temptation. I mean, you've heard the old joke, right? The person who's, you know overweight and is trying to lose weight and they fill the refrigerator full of nice sweet cakes and things. Don't do that. It is interesting to me. If you look at the statistics, we as church people go to the same movies, read the same books, read the same magazines, do the same things, 
that a lot of our good pagan neighbors are doing. Don't we know that those movies and other activities lead us into temptation? We pray this because we want to avoid temptation. If you don't want to avoid temptation, if you have no interest in avoiding temptation, don't bother praying this. And if you're like me, back in the recesses of your mind, you have a list of temptations that you kind of like. I mean, there's those really bad ones over there, right? Those are the ones that the other people do. A guy wrote a book entitled Acceptable Sins. <laughs> Those are the sins that we just kind of gotten used to. To pray to God, lead us not into temptation, is to acknowledge our need to navigate the minefield. And that's what God will do for us if we ask him. Just go read the book of Proverbs. Just start there, right? Chapter 1, you know, Lady Wisdom is standing there yelling at you, don't go that way. And the simpleton just hops down the path into destruction. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, That brings us to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, excuse me, of the Lord's Prayer. We're not close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer this week, and it's, it's fabulous. It really is. But sometimes it seems kind of otherworldly. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then I'll I'll start my real prayer. You know, I'll start the real prayer after that. That's just kind of the preamble that doesn't really mean anything to us. If you look at the list of prayer requests that comes out for this class every week, and you should, and if you don't get it, talk to somebody, they'll put you on the mailing list, so you'll, the email list, so you'll get it. You begin to understand the great number of needs that a group this size has. I mean, there's health issues, there's children issues, there's grandchildren issues, there's problems with neighbors, there's this issue and that issue. And to us, that's the real world. And sometimes the Lord's Prayer is, as I said, somewhat otherworldly. But we need to remember how these merge together. We have health issues. We really do. I have health issues. Not today, but I have them. When I pray for my health issue, your health issue, my children's health issue, do I really pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do we really do that? 
Those aren't two separate things. Those are combined together. What is God leading me into? What is God leading me out of by this health issue? I don't know. Well, maybe you don't know. But do you trust God enough to say, Thy will be done in the middle of this difficult circumstance? We had a lady in this class, always sat over here, moved to Georgia to be with her daughter, I guess. And she commented one time, she was supposed to go to the mission field. She was supposed to get on the airplane and go. And she had some health issue and she couldn't go. And she goes, God, why? And she's in the hospital. And she leads the nurse to Christ. Question. Was that health issue a fluke that thwarted the will of God? Or was that health issue an opportunity to do the will of God? In the midst of these difficult circumstances, and I've been there, in the midst of these difficult circumstances, can you say, thy will be done? Can you really say that? I'm not saying it's easy. But can we do that? We pray for having our needs met. I mean, we pray for jobs for our children. I've said in here before, I've been teaching this class for 19 years, and the first thing I learned in this class was that no matter how old you are, you never stop worrying about your children. That was a little terrifying for me when I was 40 years old and was hoping these eight children would get out of the house. And But you don't. You know that, right? You never stop worrying. You never start, stop getting excited when your son or daughter gets a job, does something wonderful. Something You get excited about it. But we pray for our needs. We pray for the needs of our children, our grandchildren, But when we pray for our needs, how are we praying? Give us this day our daily bread. Am I praying that my needs will be met from now to the end of my life so I never have to worry about it again or never have to be dependent upon God again? Is that what we pray? Or are we willing to pray, Lord, I have this need. Give me today. Give me today the strength that I need. That's all we're promised anyway. See how this merges together? This isn't some highfalutin talk that we pray in church and then we go out into the real world and do something different. We need a job. Our children need a job. Our grandchildren need a job. Lots of prayer requests for that in this class. You want some promotion. You want your child to get some promotion and they don't get it. It doesn't happen. That wonderful job over somewhere else just doesn't happen. But have you ever stopped and thought that when we pray, lead us not into temptation, God may answer that prayer by not giving us what we think we want? No is an answer. 
We don't know the temptations that we avoid when we pray, lead us not into temptation. But that avoidance may mean don't get that job that's someplace else that requires you to do something that may not be illegal, but it's, you know, you know what it is, right? When we pray for our needs, when we pray for our direction of our life, are we willing to pray, thy will be done, give us this day, lead us not into temptation? But I really want that job. It may not be good for you. I mean, we've had this discussion around our house before, you know. I wish I'd win the lottery. Now, first off, I'd have to buy a ticket, okay? I know that's a first step. Buying a ticket helps your odds of winning the lottery, but not by that much. If I won $100 million today, wouldn't that be cool? It would probably ruin my life. I don't know, but you read the stories of people just going berserk. Why? Well, the book of Proverbs tells us, you know, accumulating wealth through hard work teaches you the value of that wealth. If I drop $100 million into your lap, I would like to think I would do well with it. I don't know. Lead us not into temptation. The things that we want may not be the things that we need or the things that we can. We have the strength to avoid the temptations associated with them. Do you have a comment? My friend Bill, it's got to be his will anyway. His will. Yeah. So the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, is not meant to be just some nice, fancy language that we read and go, oh, I wish my neighbor would follow that. (laughs) It is meant to affect every aspect of your life. And in this case, it should affect the way we pray. Yes. They wandered around because they didn't do what God wanted them to do. So, verse 14. We actually did 14 and 15 two weeks ago, but we'll read them anyway. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a hard passage. We talked about it two weeks ago. So, verse 16, remember, we're talking about doing our acts of righteousness in secret. And we come to the next act of righteousness. And when you fast, notice it does not say if, it says when. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. 
For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Who, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting is an interesting topic. It's interesting because not that many of us participate in the discipline of fasting. Now, I've always had difficulty teaching this entire chapter for this simple reason. If I were to give you a personal example of giving or praying or fasting, I, by definition, have violated this passage because I told you what I did. The flip side of it is, by not telling you what I did, I can hide the fact that I'm not really doing that well. (laughs) But you don't know that. So you can leave, think that I'm giving to everybody, but I'm hiding it real well. And I'm praying for everybody, but I'm hiding it real well. So I decided that, with regard to fasting, I would go ahead and talk about my personal experiences with fasting. And I can do that because, at the moment, I'm not doing anything. (laughs) There have been periods in my life where I did fast one day a week. And when I say fast one day, what that meant is basically sun up to sundown. I would leave in the morning so the kids didn't know I wasn't eating breakfast, and I would get home in time and I'd eat dinner, okay? And they didn't know what wasn't happening. Uh, Health issues and other things like that kind of put an end to that, but there was a period in my life when I did that. And it's a very interesting experiment. I don't know if you've been involved in fast. You know, your first thought is, I'm doing this to draw me closer to God. When in reality, you start doing it, and what it draws you closer to are your thoughts about food. (laughs) Which teaches us how much we think about food. I don't know about you, but I could probably nibble all day long. You know, left to my own devices. If there was something around, I could probably... We are consumed with meeting our supposed physical needs. Why do I say suppose? Because we don't need it. We want it. Why do people fast? First off, what is fasting? Fasting is denying yourself something that is right something that is beneficial, but you say no for a period of time. It is generally associated with food. The nation of Israel was told to fast every year on the Day of Atonement. Don't eat. Now, there were other fasts for special events, but it is denying yourself something. Why in the world Would you do that? Years ago, we had a book club, some co-workers, and one guy in the group was a devout atheist, probably the purest atheist I've ever personally met. It wasn't that he was antagonistic to God. He just, it never occurred to him that there would be a God. I mean, why bother? And we read a C.S. Lewis book, and in the discussion of the book, there was a discussion regarding denying yourself 
And he, he raised the question to me. Why would you deny yourself anything that wasn't hurting somebody else? That you weren't stealing it from somebody else? I mean, why would you say no to something? And you know what? We as 21st century Americans kind of believe that. We do. Remember my comment from just a few moments ago. Jesus in the garden, the people asleep, he chastises them and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You ready for this? We fast, we deny ourselves so that we know that the spirit is guiding our life and not the flesh. At some point, we have to tell the body, no. Okay, after the fifth cupcake, I will tell my body no. (laughs) I had a friend one time who told me I could never be a missionary because I couldn't live without air conditioning. Now, we kind of chuckle about that. But don't we believe that? We have gotten so used to our creature comforts that we tell God no because it would interfere with our comfort. Now, I might add, there are, I'm making up a number, a billion Christians in the world who look at this in amazement because we Spoiled. We really are. Fasting is teaching yourself to keep your body under control. Yes. That's right. As I said, fasting is normally associated with food, but it can be anything. Now, it's not sin that you're fasting from, because if it's sin, you should avoid it anyway. We just talked about that, right? I'm going to take a fast from pornography this week. That doesn't count. You should flee from the pornography to begin with. No, we're talking about things that are good in and of themselves. But in order to teach our flesh that it is under the control of our spirit, we say no to certain things. Namely, food. Now, let's say that you do decide to fast. Okay? This Thursday, you're going to fast. You're not going to eat. So you wake up in the morning, and you're not going to eat. And you wake up, and you turn to your spouse and say, I'm hungry, but you know what? I'm not going to eat. And you go through your day, and you see your friend, and you go, gosh, I'm starving, but you know what? I'm fasting for the Lord. And you know what? 
by the end of the day, you're kind of moping around, going, woe is me, it's tough being a Christian. (laughs) That's really what this passage is about. This passage is not about fasting. It's about how you act when you fast. How you act when you do your act of righteousness. So, I'm going to fast and I'm going to look really like I haven't eaten in a year. Because I want everybody to know. The Pharisees had their weekly fast. One day, two days a week, they wouldn't eat. And they would let everybody know, oh, I'm so starving because of my love of God. And what does he tell you to do? Get up, wash your face, comb your hair, act like you're doing nothing. And don't let anybody know. And your father, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Openly, maybe. Maybe. Could be. We don't know. We had that discussion the very first week. What do the rewards look like? They could be rewards in heaven. They could be rewards in the here and now. That's God's problem. Your problem is obedience to God. So, you, we need to learn to keep our flesh under control. We, as 21st century Americans, are terrible at that. You will watch the football game this afternoon. I know you. You will. I will. And there will be commercial after commercial after commercial telling you of things that you have to have, that you deserve to have, that you need to have, and that if you have, everybody will think you're the coolest person on the planet. Some of those commercials will be funny, some will be cute, some will be weird. They will be what they'll be. But let me let you in on a secret. They're all lies. If you drink that beer, those cute young things are not going to come chasing after you. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. There's lots of bad jokes in that path, and we're not going there. I'm not sure what it is in your life that you need to keep under control. I know what it is in my life. The reason we fast from food is because it is a common denominator that we all need. It is a common denominator that drives all of us 
in ways that we can't imagine. Do fast for one day. If your health allows, I mean, don't do anything that's going to physically harm you, but do fast for one day. And just watch your thoughts. Don't criticize them, just watch them. How much of my time do I spend thinking about food? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? What am I going to eat during the game? Got to have something good to eat, right? And that's fine. Food is a necessary condition of our existence. Food is good. It's just never meant to control us. You could have a long discussion in the Bible about food. The lack of food, God providing food. We talked about this just last week. Give us this day our daily bread. God providing food miraculously. God providing food by the normal method of going to work and growing the food. But it was never meant to control us. The material world is real. But it's not the realist world. God has created us as spiritual beings. And we have a body. The spiritual side of us. The part that says, what would God have me do? The part that says, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That part of us can be led astray by a cheeseburger. (laughs) Why? Because we're physical beings. Yes. Her question is, how does this, you know, relate to Lent? I mean, it's the same thing. It's for a period of time, I'm going to give up something. Once again, not something that's a sin, something that is a good to teach myself to allow myself to focus on something else. Now, once again, how do you do that? Do you do it in such a way that people don't know you're doing it? Are you doing it so that you can show off to people? I don't know but I'm going to allow that they're doing it for good motives. Our Catholic brothers and sisters and other groups practice Lent, which is basically the time leading up to Easter. They deny themselves something, and that's fine. Now, oftentimes it's denying themselves something somewhat trivial, but that's, you know, we'll we'll go with that. (laughs) We'll take people where they are and just start there. It could be something in your life other than food. You know, there have been times where we said, okay, we're not going to watch television for a period of time. We're going to use that time to do something else. I might add, you know, when we do our marriage mentoring, there's a verse over there that says, you know, don't deny your spouse sex except by mutual agreement for a period of prayer. Now, I tell them, In all honesty, I've never met a couple who gave up sex so they could pray more. But (laughs) 
I'm sure it's out there. What's the point? I don't know what it is in your life that needs to be given up. But there needs to be something. You need to teach your body that your body is not in control. And we, as 21st century Americans, have a great problem with that. If you're a Christian in Africa today, you look at the Americans and you just go, what? Are you kidding me? You're not going to come do mission work here because we don't have a flush toilet? Don't laugh. That's you. That's me. We fast to train ourselves. It is a spiritual discipline. We discipline our bodies. It's like exercising. It's like if you were on one of the football teams that's going to be in the game today. You work and you work and you work so that when the day occur, happens that you have the event, you are prepared. And I can just envision God wants you to do something great. And your mind goes, but it's lunchtime. I'm sure you've read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters are the letters of a senior demon to a junior demon on how to tempt people. And the patient that the junior demon is tempting is in the library and he's having deep thoughts about God. And the senior demon tells the junior demon, don't try to thwart his thoughts about God. Just remind him that it's lunchtime. And that's all it'll take. And off he goes to lunch, and all those thoughts go away. That's why we fast. We don't fast legalistically, thinking that by fasting we're earning brownie points with God. We're fasting as a discipline so that we can be more attuned to what God would have us to do. Our Father in heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray these words and God speaks to us. Are we ready to hear? And that's what fasting, that's what denying our flesh does for us. It makes us able to hear when God speaks. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your will will be done, that your kingdom will come, that you will forgive us our debts, that you will provide our daily need. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from temptation. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the strength. I pray, Lord, that you would do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.